This is Sheila Styron, and welcome to the second day of our 2020 Transportation Forum to Mobility and Beyond. We had a great day yesterday, and I hope some of you got to hear it. And uh, we are back today with uh, what will be uh, some information, but we also want to hear from all of you because we want to use this information to inform ACB on its transportation platform, things they we want them to do for us. So I would like to start with a little housekeeping. Why can you give us our CEU number, Deb, to get us started? Oh, hold on just a second. I had it and I set it down. <laughs> I'll be right back with it. That's okay. So um, going to leave it to the panelists. Um, we're, we have two panels today. This first one will be for an hour and 15 minutes. We'll have a 15 minute break. Then we'll come back with a, our second presentation. And um, we are going to allow the, the panelists will choose, the presenters will take questions whenever they want and they will ask you for your input and I guess probably most of you have been in these webinars before and you'll be able to raise your hand. And we're fortunate to have Deb Cook-Lewis with us today who will be running the show as our operator. Have you got it? I do. It's 8416B as in boy. Okay. 8416B as in boy. Okay, and we'll be giving a closing one at the end of Deb, do you know if we have a separate one for each of these sessions, or is uh, it just for the day? Yes, you do. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, let's get started then. We're first going to be hearing about the impact of federal laws and regulations on the accessibility of transportation and infrastructure projects. And that's not what we're going to be hearing about. That's what we did yesterday. Let's say I'm a little bit nervous. Okay, today we're doing reading the signals and navigating the chaos. It's gonna be pedestrian access, leading pedestrian intervals, roundabouts, curb management, street furniture, projected intersections and cycle tracks. Uh, all these barriers that we face as pedestrians and we are going to learn about these and get input um, from Becky Davidson who is a longtime guide dog advocate, and she's the chair of the Environmental Access Committee, and she's from Char Charlotte, North Carolina, and she'll be her sidekick, uh, with her sidekick, Karen Gorgie, who is a co-founder of the New York City Coalition, which was Pedestrians for Accessible Safe Streets. So you will be in good hands. Um, Ron Brooks will be taking notes for this session because we really do want to capture this information for ACB. So take it away, Becky and Karen, and I'm going to mute. Thank you very much, Sheila, and thanks, Deb, for all your work on this uh, logistical um, thing. <laughs> anyway, we're happy to be here as well. Um, and. As pedestrians, there are lots of things that drive us nuts out there. And the list is growing longer every year as technologies improve or at least increase, whether it's an improvement or not is up for debate in some cases. Um, traffic patterns, all of those kinds of things. And they impact us 
whether we live in an urban area, um, and a lot of these things are most common in urban areas, but certainly not restricted to urban areas. Um, and the focus today is primarily on the pedestrian aspect of all of this. Um, and as Sheila said, these four workshops, the two today and the two tomorrow, um, have specific objectives design, designed to help ACB form policy and advocacy for the issues that mean the most to us because we're out there doing our thing, walking around our neighborhoods and our cities and getting from place to place as best we can. But today we'll be focusing primarily on um, on the pedestrian aspect of this. So first of all, um, I, I have been told we can do this, so let's see if it works. I'd like to note um, how many of you attended yesterday's sessions. Please raise your hands. Deb can give us an approximation of how many of you did. Mm -hmm. Okay, just a second. We're waiting for them to catch us. Well, quite a few. Okay, good. Um, Just a second, they're still coming up. <laughs> yeah, about 30. Okay, good. That's good. Uh, and we have, okay, that's about half of how many people we have, I believe. So. Oh, and you have about, you have about 80 people. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, all right, so we're going to have to use a little discipline as we go into starting to answer questions and having discussions, but um, I'm curious to know also, are there any orientation and mobility instructors in the audience? If so, raise your hands. Okay, wait, before we do that, I have oh, to, everybody. I have to lower, make these other people lower their lower hands. Lower their hands. Everybody lower their they hands. Are, are all wanting to talk. Uh, okay, there we go. Let's, now let's do the O&M people. Are there any O&M instructors in the, in the audience? If so, raise your hands. Uh, yes, there are about, about three people, uh, six people, and you're up to 94 participants now. Awesome. Well, okay, this is great. This is great. So, and no slamming doors in the back of the room or anything like you get at convention, right? So, um, there are some advantages to Zooming. So, okay, so we're going to, one of the things that, that, happened yesterday was, and we're going to start here, um, one of the things that happened yesterday was Chris Bell and his presentation gave a scenario of an individual who um, had some mishaps on paratransit and then on a, on a public bus and then wound up at an intersection that was very, very difficult to read the signals. And what we're talking about is reading the signals today, among other things. And I think most of you are familiar with Accessible Pedestrian Signals, or APS. Um, those have been around in some one form or another for, for a long time, not long enough, but uh, a long time. They've changed in terms of their, uh, the sounds they give you and the, the, the audible signals they give you and so on. But uh, APSs have been around for, for a while. Um, but intersection design, changes um, almost constantly. And one of the places that gives us the most, um, the most fodder to deal with, and because it's such a big urban area, is New York City. And my cohort, um, she's not just a sidekick, she's a colleague, 
Um, Karen Gorgi is here. Karen is co-founder of the Pedestrians for Accessible and Safe Streets Coalition in New York City, which really kind of set the bar for advocacy efforts uh, on a large scale. And APS signals, um, roundabouts, um, all of those kinds of things have been on their screens um, since they were founded. And one of the more recent things that's happening is something called the Lead Pedestrian Interval, LPI. And I will let Karen explain what that is and why it's such a problem for us. Uh, and then um, we will tell you that a ACB actually passed a resolution about this last, last convention in Rochester. So um, Karen, I'm gonna turn it over to you. I'd like for you to talk about the past and the the advocacy efforts and some of the things that you are up against and give people an idea of what it's really like to advocate for uh, for our safe streets and start from there. So do you all hear me? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Becky. Um, do you want me, you had said first, you want me to go over what a lead pedestrian interval yes, is as a start? Okay, so forget it. I'm not answering that phone. So sorry. Um, so Chris actually explained this yesterday, but um, let's just go through it again. So um, I have one on my corner um, in, in New York City. And it is on, so it's on Fifth Avenue and 14th Street. So I... You know, as we were all taught in O&M school, right, whenever that was in our little lives, you know, like me, it was in 1875 or something like that. Anyway, so um, we get, I get down to 14th and 5th. I'm walking along 14th Street going east and I come to 5th Avenue and all these cars are zooming along in front of me right they're going south I'm facing east so I can cross that street. So they, uh, they keep going their way, their way, and then the signal changes. This is the standard thing that we all wish was always happening. But anyway, the signal changes, and I hear the traffic going east, right? I hear that traffic going um, towards my right and just straight ahead of me, and I don't hear anybody coming down the avenue anymore. So I say, fine, I'm safe to cross. And I, so I cross and I'm safe. And that's the standard, um, that's the standard that we're usually taught. Now, what's been happening in the last, oh gosh, it's been quite a long, at least, I'd say at least five years, um, is that now um, they're trying, as Chris mentioned yesterday, um, they're trying to give a head start to pedestrians, like especially seniors, people who might be a little slower or whatever when they're, when they're crossing the street. So now what they do, when I'm standing there waiting to cross and all those cars are coming past me and fine, fine, I wait my turn, then it gets silent in front of me, but it's also silent to my right. So there's nobody going east from me. There's nobody going in that direction that I'm waiting to hear. So I have my cue. And um, so I don't know what to do. Now that is the 
LPI scenario, lead pedestrian interval, because what it's doing is it's giving a walk signal, a visual walk signal to those walkers who are visually able um, to let them know, okay, go ahead, guys, get a start, get a start. But we, of course, don't see that. And so um, that's what puts us in a heck of a spot when there's an LPI. And so along with many other uh, things um, that is areas that we've been working on, um, that's been one of the first and one of the ongoing things. Now, before I move on, if I could ask for Deb's help, does anybody, I don't want any stories or anything like that, but the concept of an LPI, does that make sense? Does anybody have any questions about that? Okay, uh, yes. Ray, you're allowed to uh, talk. Don't need to unmute yourself. There we go. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> hey, hey, Karen, good to hear your voice. Ray Campbell here. Thanks, uh, Ray. It, I just would add to what you said real quick, though, that the other problem that LPIs give are for, for us, I'm involved in litigation against Chicago and uh, access, accessible signals. The other problem that LPIs are for us is we are listening to our traffic surge. That means we have less time to get across the street. So if one of us happens to be a little slower, we may not make it across in time. So that's the other side of the LPI uh, argument as well. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. I mean, I just wanted to get the, the, the principle out there. Yeah. Um, but absolutely true. We have a, we have a disadvantage because the, the, the uh, walk signal for those folks who are watching it is X, they get X number of seconds. I don't have the exact number, but it's a certain number of seconds they get. And then the parallel traffic does start. So then, yes, then we get to go across and at least, and, and, and so, um, but yeah, yeah we're minus at a, y. Yeah, we're at an absolute disadvantage. No, sure. no, no question about that. Yeah. Sean? Sean, the host has already unmuted me, so I'm just yep. going to jump in. That's right. So let's let's work with the, this scenario because in Columbus, Ohio, we have quite a number, a large number of accessible pedestrian signals. Okay. So do you have a do you have a question, or you want to continue to talk about this? Is that what you're saying? Where did he go? I think he left. He's still here, Sean. If somebody has a signal that's already been set up and is used, how difficult is it to have the leading pedestrian signal added? Oh, it's a simple programming intervention. Oops. It's very simple. I mean, the traffic engineers can do it. Yeah, that was um, just my question is, can, can an LPI be added to an existing uh, signal was just my, my question. Oh is my God, they're doing, it, do? they're doing it all the time. They're doing oh, it good. all the time okay, in thank New York you. City. It's a computer yeah. adjustment, right? Basically, it's not like yeah. they don't have to change the actual that's pedestrian right. uh, right. signal or that ped that's header. That's exactly right. No, yeah. that's exactly right. Um, you want to take yeah. any questions? Uh, any more? One, I'll take yes. one more on this, and then we can move a little Charlene? bit. Charlene? Go ahead. Unmute, unmute. She, oh, she, she's uh, withdrawn. So, um, looks. Looks like uh, Hold on. What's going on here? 
there. Deanne, do you want to go ahead? You can unmute yourself, Deanne. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can. Yep. Okay. My yep. question is, is how does this work with a right hand turn on red? Because lots of times when I'm waiting for the or when I'm waiting to go and there's a you know, and that you know you have right hand turns, but how does the LPI interact with the right hand turn on reds? Well, somebody may be able to give a better answer than I will on this, but basically, I mean they're two. They, I don't believe that the one really affects the other. The whole idea is the LPI comes on to give those pedestrians a head start. And it doesn't affect anything else that that happens at that intersection, whether you're talking about right on red or what they call a leading turn or a lagging turn, which means that um, when when the those on my example, when those cars are going down uh, Fifth Avenue, let's see, when those cars are, are, are moving along, um, they can surprise you sometimes you that my fifth avenue thing isn't the best example of this but let's just say for a minute um we have our parallel traffic right and all of a sudden somebody decides or that they have they have the ability to turn and basically interrupt us and that's another that's a whole other thing and that's, I think, the same idea as a right turn on red. It's the same, that, that people can end up in front of us, right? Um, so uh, it's something that we also really have to take into account and keep in mind. And um, it's one of the other things that makes it so important that we try to get APS installed wherever an LPI occurs. Does that help a little bit? The whole right turn on red thing has been kind of controversial since it started because of its impact on pedestrians. And I know um, when I lived in Mount Kisco, New York, when the walk signs came on, they came on for, there were not supposed to be any right turners turning when the walk sign was on. And I don't know if, if that's a standard um, around the country or if that was just, we were lucky. Um, but, you know, they're not supposed they're, they're only supposed to, they are still supposed to stop before they make their right turn. Almost nobody does, but they come to what they call it an almost stop or a rolling stop, but they are supposed to stop before they make the turn, particularly if there's, you know, pedestrians in front of them, but generally that's what the laws say, I believe. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. So it's, it's, it is, the fact is that there are all kinds of reasons um, why people might turn in front of us. Um, so, so that whole thing is a, is a, is a really something we have to deal with and we need to be talking to um, our transportation officials about. If I can, let me, Becky, if I have a few more minutes, let me do the other thing you asked me to do. Sure. Which is, talk a little bit about PASS. Um, PASS is, um, it's, it stands for Pedestrians for Accessible and Safe Streets. And really- Karen, this is Sheila. 
could I interrupt you and just ask you, I don't have a hand raising one um, on mine, so I have to unmute and interrupt. Um, but I, I'm just wondering, do you two have a strategy in mind or does anyone, how should we fight this? How do you think, what do you think the best way to approach this is? Well, um, as you remember, I'm sure Sheila, one, one basic principle we're adopting and, and ACB passed this resolution last year and actually pass um, also sent a, a, a request for a change in the MUTCD, which is the um, manu Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, that it be a mandate that whenever there is an LPI, that an accessible pedestrian signal is required. And the idea of that, of course, is so that you don't, um, you don't lose any time, that as soon as, uh, as soon as we have, as soon as we have a, a walk signal, we get our message, just like the guy looking at the, at the, at the pet head, you know, gets their message. So that's the, that's the basic one. Um, another thing I'll mention um, in response to your question, Sheila, is that, you know, for years, and I'll try to say this quickly, there's been what is called a prioritization tool. And that is, um, and often it's done locally, where um, O and M people and and uh, uh, consumers, for lack of a better word for us, um, users, street users who have uh, vision loss, etc., um, come together with. If we're lucky, and we've done this with past, come together with the transportation folks, and we create basically a scoring system. Um, and it was, this was first done, I think, with Janet Barlow and, and others, probably back in the 90s it started. And the idea is to evaluate um, intersections, right, and to score them. And the higher the score, the more important it is that you have an APS. And so most recently um, in New York City, we've, we re- calibrated our prioritization tool that the that the um any place where there's an APS another like another I think it's like 10 points get thrown onto that so any place where that's happening becomes much much more um much much more important uh and and gives you a far better chance that that there actually will be um, an APS put there. And one of the things we accomplished just recently um, with the help of our O&M instructor, Jean Borkwin, who does work with us on a regular basis, I think a lot of you probably know Jean, um, maybe some anyway, um, we asked that the DOT, the Department of Transportation, not just to do this going forward, but to take a look at the 1,500 or so um, Actually, uh, I'm trying to just think now. Actually, the the, the number of of uh, signals that are already on the the list that have a prioritization score, and whenever an um, an um, accessible I'm not speaking correctly lead pedestrian interval is added to that, we required we requested and required that they add another. 10 points 
to that score. In other words, we wanted them to go back and take a look at all of the prioritization work that had already been done and take into account the fact that now there's an LPI and, and at that intersection. So it becomes much more important that, uh, that something be done about this in terms of having an APS installed if it's not there. And the higher you make that score, prioritization score, the better, you're, the better shot you have. So, um, so that's another tool in the toolbox around that. I hope it's a little bit clear. If later, if people have any questions, we can, if we have time, we can go back to it. And then of course, the other tool, which Ray mentioned before, um, and which people in New York City are working on, including uh, ACBN and why is that people can take the city to court um, and say that this is unlawful, that it, these things make these um, intersections too dangerous for us. They make them really not accessible. And um, so that is part of a suit that's ongoing in New York City right now. And I know a lot of other places around the country. And um, that suit was brought I don't have the right date. It might have been two years ago now. Um, but PASS started working with, with DOT um, in 2010. In 2010, we started with a letter uh, to the mayor and others telling them basically the way they have the streetscape set up at this point is making it inaccessible to us and that therefore they're out of compliance with ADA. That's what we told them. And it was a way of beginning to get their attention. Um, we did have meetings with the mayor and the mayor's office for people with disabilities. And we began to get some entree into the Department of Transportation. And a lot of what we've worked on has been dealing with the Department of Transportation and really teaching them what our issues are and doing that on an ongoing basis. And there are lots of these things other than, other than uh, um, the APSs that we've been talking about, but just lots of things. What, what's the implication for us when there are scooters and bikes that are legal? All these many things that we all know about. What about protected bike lanes or bike lanes when we have no idea where that bike lane starts, you know, and where the, um, where the traffic starts? All of this. So part of what we really wanted to do was to build a relationship with the department and to work with them on getting them to understand what what our issues were and what the needs were and how what the level of importance and it's not a word but crucialness <laughs> cruciality that this has for us so that's been the past and so really i think you could say that we've had two different things going on at the same time we have if you will the carrot which is sometimes a pretty severe carrot but we do you know we try to make it known and know on certain terms what the issues are and then you have the suit which is moving along so we're in a certain way we're using both to try to um to try to make things happen Sheila, I don't know if that goes anywhere toward answering your question. Well, I, I just kind of wanted to know um, if there was anything beyond, do we want to change drivers? Do we, do we want to try to get rid of 
these lead times? Do, is there anything else we want besides, I think, you know, because it is so dangerous. I'm obsessed with these things. I'm really terrified. <laughs> I mean, our, the advice that we've gotten and, uh, and what we are understanding is that these things are so prevalent and they're so, they do actually um, help with you know pedestrian accidents they do help traffic flow etc cetera, etc cetera. so one of our problems is that we're not we can't fight the however many million people we're talking about in any in any location so we the what we understand and the the position we've taken and so has acbny um in in terms of the suit that we know they're not gonna not do it we know that, you know, just on almost mathematically and the, the statistics around safety and everything else, that's not going to change. But what they have to do and what we feel we can mandate in any way possible and use every tool we can think of to do it is that they have to tell us. I have to know when I walk up to this corner, this next corner that I haven't even ever been to before, I have to know that you know, that there's an APS, um, well, that, sorry, that there's an LPI there, but the way I'm going to, the way in a certain sense that it won't matter is that there's an APS, so I get a clear signal when it is safe for me to cross. The core so, issue here is that the ADA, uh, I mean, just sort of the core principle is that, that we are to be guaranteed the same access to our environment that everybody else has that so that sighted people have so we should we are ought to be guaranteed to have to get the information we need if we can't get it visually then we have to get it audibly or or if you're if you happen to be both deaf and blind there needs to be some type of a of another system like the arrows that are on the poles for some APS um, APSs that that vibrate those kinds of things that are available um, regardless, and it, and it was an interesting reminder yesterday, Chris commented that one of the reasons that APS um, did not really get put into this whole process originally was because the NFB opposed them. Um, and that's that's their issue. But, and I don't think they do that much anymore, oppose them that much anymore, just because, um, because traffic has changed so much. So um, the other thing is that I think that the impetus originally for creating the LPI was the alarming statistics about car pedestrian accidents where the number of pedestrians injured and killed by vehicles, and I'm not just talking about blind or visually impaired or disabled pedestrians, but pedestrians in general is astonishing right now. And what they did, they did for the right reason, but they didn't look at all the questions that still needed to be answered. And, and the biggest one, of course, for us and really for anybody um, is making sure that information is available to all pedestrians, not just pedestrians who can see. Right. Does that I, sort of make it clear? I want to just jump in, Becky, for one second and, and, and comment on the NFB thing. Um, I think it's true that they don't, uh, nationally, they don't oppose anymore. And, and I can tell you that in terms of the city and our coalition, um, NFB <clears throat> is a member. So they're in support of what we're doing and they're um, actively working for it. The, the, uh, the vice chair of our little group um, is, happens to be an NFB member. So at least in our, in our uh, city, 
that is not an issue for us anymore, which was a really wonderful thing to, you know, we, ACB actually, when PASS was founded, ACB actually asked if we could go over to an NFB meeting because there were some press that had happened that made us just think, my God, we can't deal with this anymore. This was back in 2010. And we went over and we talked to them about it. And we set up some scenarios and told them what the, you know, what the situation was that we were in. And following on that, they agreed to join PASS with us. So we are working, at least in our city, we're working in lockstep. So I think it's important to make that clear that, yeah. you know, yeah. where you can make coalitions, boy, it's a good idea to do it. And it certainly never hurts to reach out um, and ask like you did. Um, one of the other things that's important when we're talking about advocating is, is to be as informed as we can about what, what the processes are, who, who, who decides what to do where, um, who owns which streets. Um, in, in the city, I, I'm, I'm guessing, does the city own most of the streets or some of them state, some yeah. of them county, that kind of thing? Right. Um, because that's one of the first things you'll get is, well, that's not our road. Um, so, you know, advocating on any of these things, uh, are, uh, so many of them are really local issues. The ADA gives the general, this is how it's supposed to be, but on the local level, and particularly when it comes to bike lanes and scooters, um, and have, I'm wondering how many people have encountered the e-scooters. We won't do a hand raise, but it might come up in the questions. E-scooters are scooters that people can pick up at a certain point, ride it to where they want to go, and then theoretically dock it somewhere near where they want to want to go. Um, and it's pretty convenient for people who are messengers and, and things like that, who, you know, have to park a long ways from where their office is. So they hop a scooter and, and get it at, near their parking garage and go to their office building. Um, things like that. And more and more, you know, even recreational use. The problem with them is, well, there's two problems. One of them is that they're very quiet. So if one's coming up behind you, you're not probably gonna know it. And the other probably bigger problem or at least equal problem is that rather than docking them somewhere, people just drop them where they, where they wanna get off. So you find street corners with scooters and all kinds of things uh, on the ground there that are hazards to, to all of us, guide dog users, cane users, pedestrians in general. So you know, the scooters are an issue and that's a local, that's a local regulation. Bike um, lanes are another one. Oh, go ahead, Karen. No, I was just going to make one more point about the scooters. Um, and it's a point that's similar to bikes. I mean, in addition to the, um, to the being quiet and the fact that they just throw them where they want um, in very often. I mean, some companies work to try to, um, lower that happen the occurrences of that but the other thing is that many many people on scooters and bikes just don't pay attention so they they don't feel they have to um, go with the law so they will go through um, they'll go through a red light my sister who's perfectly sighted just told me today she was crossing a street and a bike came so close to her that she felt the breeze from the bike yeah. And, you know, I've, I had it happen the other day. Thankfully, somebody was there and said, hold on, there's a bike coming, you know, but there and scooters do the same thing. You don't hear them. And they are, they are, um, they are not 
uh, playing by the rules, basically. And in New York, what's happened is that they've now been made legal on a state level and the communities of the state of New York have been empowered to make their own regulations for what will happen with these scooters. So it's, you know, the, the state has basically mandated them in spite of that we went to the governor to try to have some input on that, but sometimes those things don't work. Yeah, and one of the things that about the silence of the scooters, last, last year in, in, in our Rochester workshop, Lucas Frank told us that in Holland, um, those scooters there are all required to have a bell on them that they cannot turn off. In other words, that bell is going to ring every so many seconds as the scooter is traveling and the, per the person driving the scooter can't turn it off. And one of the ways that we can advocate is for the companies to be required to install something like that on their scooters. That's, you know, that's one of the things that Lucas Frank talked about um, last year. So um, I'm going to stop here um, and see what people are thinking a little bit. So if you want to raise your hand. Um, and we oh, will... they have been. So 1086 <laughs> on the phone. You're unmuted. Okay, this is Gene Lozano from California. I wanted to um, go back to Sheila's question. Um, what actual concrete things could be done? Um, I totally agree with everything Karen um, uh, stated. But the but just the Federal Highway Administration manual on uniform traffic control devices. Um, it's my understanding that uh, ACB staff and people from um, New York are working on language to address the specific one for the leading. Yes, yes um, that's right. That, that, and but the thing is, um, every group, every state has their own manual and uniform traffic control devices based and it's based on the federal document and so state affiliates and other interested parties can get together and work with their state traffic control devices statewide committee to amend their manual to specifically get in you know ideally if you have one the federal document that then trickles down to all the states but Things move sometimes quicker on the state level, so you can do that. And you can also, if your community, your county, or your city, depending where the issue is, you can see about amending their ADA self-evaluation and transition plan. One, to have the policies they have uh, for, from their transportation department, the local, to have a policy to address this that APSs be uh, placed on these type of signalized intersections. Uh, the other thing is then physically and then the transportation side, having in men as a priorities. Uh, here in Sacramento County back in 89, uh, we got APSs required for all installations and when they were upgraded. And we did for a short period of time have that list of priorities, prioritizing with the highest priority being upon a request and later our Department of Transportation on their own, thank goodness they came up, we wanted it, but that whenever they got a request, they decide that they would go ahead and uh, have it done. So it's unfortunately it's piecemeal around the country, but tangibly, concretely, um, that is something that you can do. 
at least working on that as a group, as individuals from the local to the state level, uh, if you can't influence on the federal level. And we are, we did introduce a resolution, um, and it didn't come out last year quite the same framework, but there needs to be federal legislation, just as Becky was talking about the scooters, with specific requirements like a sound um, requirement and that has shift um, um, pitch, shift pitch indication in that. So that's what the advocacy could do. Um, thank you and well done presentation so far. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. Jean is, is another Sheila. member of our Environmental Access I Committee. Just yes, wanted. thank you, Jean, and it's good to know who Jean is. I just wanted to let everybody know that um, we're a little past the halfway mark now, just so you know, and um, I just, I just, well, I have my mic unmuted, I just want to say that, um, you know, there are so many things to be concerned about, but when I prioritize in my mind, I, I really do think that crossing the streets, silent cars, these leading pedestrian intervals, APS. Uh, these are the things that, that I vote for being the top of the pile. The scooters, the bikes whizzing by, annoying construction, um, you know, blockages, cracks in the sidewalk. Those are all bad things, but boy, I just don't want to get hit and killed. You know, I have a very dear friend who was almost killed last August. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, and I'm a brave traveler. I walk a lot and I go, so I'm just going to register my vote here before I give you the floor back. <laughs> That's what yeah, I think we should just, be working just, on. Since we mentioned the resolutions, uh, there were three last year, and Jean mentioned one, and there was the LPI one. Also, um, we, we submitted a resolution because the Environmental Access Committee would like to um, work with ACB and whoever else we can get involved to create a video aimed at, at drivers about uh, pedestrian safety. So, you know, that's that's another thing that, that we're hoping to be able to do at some point. Unfortunately, it costs money to do that. You have but, um, hands if you want to take some more questions. Yes. yes Wesley? Like to. Yes. Ready. This is Wesley from Tucson, Arizona. Hello. Hi. Uh, hi. So my question is, I don't understand why there cannot be an all-stop for cars so that pedestrians can cross in all directions for 30 seconds or 35 seconds, whatever that limit is. I, and there I, are I some areas that, that do have those. Um, why can't we advocate for that is my question. That's all I've got. Thank you. I think that's a reasonable question. Um, that walk signals, I know um, the, the one that I was most familiar with in, in Mount Kisco said when, you, when it came on, it said the walk sign is on for all, um, for the, for all intersections. Uh, and so everything had to stop. It was almost like a four-way stop, except, you know, the, it was a traffic light. I think that's a reasonable question. Absolutely. Somebody Bob? else? Uh, Bob? <clears throat> you have to unmute yourself. What? It's not, uh, hold on. It's not done it for you, Bob. Sorry about that. I think now it has. There you Got go. It. Yeah, hi. I'm Bob from uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, I'm on our city's um, paratransit advisory committee, and as such, I was um, I volunteered to be on the um, 
bus rapid transit uh, committee that uh, Chapel Hill is thinking about putting in a bus rapid transit through the center of uh, town. And I must confess, I'm kind of a newbie to all this stuff. I have been trying to advocate in my own way for um, better uh, crossing because they're gonna they're proposing widening the streets which are already four lanes wide to uh, accommodate the uh, rapid transit bus and um, so I have two two related questions one is some of these intersections are over a hundred feet 120 feet wide they do have the uh, lighted um, signals with the countdown my question my first question is can those kind of signals be retrofitted with the um, the APS uh, uh, audio part? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. All right, good. And, and secondly, uh, since I am kind of new to all this, um, and I've, I've only, I only was able to come to the conference because it's now virtual, um, what's my best bet for climbing up the learning curve that obviously all of you are pretty far advanced on on all these different issues? It's, uh, it, it, this, this project's only in the planning stage but it would seem like I could have some influence in making sure they're aware of the need for the APS and some of the other techniques that have been discussed today. Should I join my local ACB chapter? Yes, or, or, yes, absolutely. Are All there are there documents or something that give kind of helps you come up the learning curve? There are some. Um, there are some handouts. Actually, there's some downloadable documents on the acbconvention.org site and one of them um, was written by um, or written and put to pull together by Chris Bell who is the president of the North Carolina Council of the Blind and also um, he was a presenter yesterday has a lot of history with this kind of thing and then also um, on the ACB uh, website is a is a link to the pedestrian safety handbook which um, was updated in in 2012 and still has a wealth of information in it about traffic signals and traffic issues and all of those and advocacy and all of those kinds of things. So if you look at those things, but really the, the best, one of the best things you can do is, is get yourself connected with other, other people who have the same concerns and certainly starting with your local ACB affiliate is a good place to start. Karen, do you want to add anything? I'll just add that, um, and maybe these folks are already in the the, the, the chapter, Chris's, you know, the North Carolina chapter affiliate. Um, to the extent that you can um, link up with people who are orientation and mobility instructors. I know in our experience, a lot, those folks have been tremendous allies, um, individuals within the whole O&M community. I don't know, Bob, I'm, I might be repeating something you already know, but basically O&Mers are the people who teach people who are blind, low vision to travel safely um, with, uh, with either low vision or with no vision or with um, no vision and, and or low vision and some hearing loss. So this is their this is their shtick, and um, to use a New York term. And, and, and you know, so they are we hope, we, we're sure a lot of them are very familiar with these kind of situations and should be, I would think, really good um, allies for, for you, for your chapter. 
We have a well, couple right here in North Carolina, Janet Barlow, who is probably one of the best known and strongest oh, no. advocates from the orientation and mobility side of things is up in Asheville. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Uh, Elga Jaffe is down on the more on the eastern right. side of the state. So those are people who, you know, who have really been involved with this for a long time. And, um, you know, we, we can maybe work with and with North Carolina Council of the Blind to make some connections with them. That'd be a fabulous thing. That'd be a well, great well, outcome coming out of this. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, th thank you. It turns out um, you give me two good ideas because it turns out uh, Chris Bell lives right down the road in Pittsburgh. And um, I've been in uh, low, Hello, vision, Chris. low vision classes with oh. him. <laughs> and uh, secondly, uh, <laughs> well, we, yeah, we know each other, but it's a great idea to, to at least talk to him informally. And also, I, I participated in O&M and had a really excellent uh, teacher. And I, it didn't occur to me, but I, I could reach out to him as well. So thanks very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Bob Kavanaugh? Yeah, so... Uh, couple things. First of all, I wanted to comment on uh, Wesley's uh, uh, question. Yeah, there are a couple. I know there's a couple of issues, a couple of signals in my area that uh, that are like that. The, other, the question that I had is, uh, is there a website that I can go to to um, see um, a uh, the, the score for a particular intersection because there's one intersection in uh, that's like a, about half mile from me that I would be interested in uh, wondering what its uh, prioritization score is. Is there like a national database of that or is that something like just in New York City or? Uh, that's really an inter great interesting question. Um, I know that in our experience, in my experience, um, there was a basic tool that that was taken and that was really adapted. Um, I mean, and there's these things have a whole history and somebody may know a lot more than me about this, but you know, in, in the past, when people were doing these kind of prioritizations, you know, basically what they would do in many cities is, oh, there's a blindness agency here, there's a lighthouse here, there's a something else here, you know, um, we'll put an APS right by that. So there wasn't really work being done um, to, honestly evaluate intersections and now that really has changed and I'm not so familiar with how widely this tool is used um, but I know it is very much used in in um, New York City and I can certainly try to um, get some more information about that if somebody here doesn't have it and and uh, where uh, Deb or Becky where should we if we're able to come up with some better information on that where should we leave it so it's accessible for everybody we are putting we have a page um, that you, we can put them on that are as, as things associated with the convention so if you get them to Janet we can okay them up. perfect That's I'll definitely great. follow up on that it's a terrific question mm -hmm. uh, Claire yeah, the other is thing, the other oh. thing you might do is um, see if you can contact your local traffic engineer or intersection design guru uh, in your community and ask them if they're familiar with the prior prioritization tool and if they even know what that is um, and get that conversation started too. Mm -hmm. Okay, Claire? Yeah, 
Um, hi, Becky and Karen. Thank you for doing such an awesome job. This is Claire from the National Thank Office. Um, I just wanted to touch base on uh, Sheila's question that she asked a while ago about what can we do. And I feel like so much of what we've been talking about has been so helpful. Um, and I just wanted to point out that one of our imperatives for the 2020 Leadership Conference um, has to do with the Surface Transportation Act. Um, so. Uh, which uh, encompasses a couple of the things we've talked about, both with micromobility and LPI, um, where LPIs exist in uh, inserting APS. So just to take a step back, I think, Karen, you did a phenomenal job talking about how we can use the different branches of the government to advocate. So going through DOT being the executive branch, hopefully not having to, but if we do file a lawsuit going through ju the judicial branch. Um, so the last one just being the legislature, um, which unfortunately moves very slowly. We all know that. Um, but uh, ACB National, our, our hope and our idea was to use the surface transportation bill, which has to be reenacted by the end of September of 2020. And those were some of the ideas that we hoped to get inserted into the bill would be micromobility, those being um, electronic scooters, bicycles, things like that, um, developing some policies there that would help uh, prevent the issues we were talking about, as well as requiring APSs to be installed everywhere everywhere LPI technology exists. So I um, just wanted to kind of shine light on some of the, the ideas um, that we had in the national office and that could easily be brought down to the state level as well, but just utilizing the legislative branch as well. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks, I mean, Claire. So, thank you, Claire. <laughs> we did talk about that in our Capitol Hill visits this past February. Okay, uh, 4388, there you go. This, this is Mitch Pomerantz, and as an old washed-up ADA compliance officer for the city of L.A., let me make a couple of comments. First of all, um, a caution regarding the prioritization tool. Um, I'm not sure if it's, if it's now a national, if it's nationally standardized, but years ago, um, the city of Los Angeles was using the one that was initially drafted out of San Diego County, and it was horrible. Uh, it made it next to impossible for a blind person to get a, uh, an APS installed at an intersection, and ultimately our transportation department scrapped it. Uh, it also helped, and I hope Gene's still listening because he knows the fellow. One of our assistant general managers in uh, DOT was very much opposed to APSs, and finally, when he left, we began to make some real progress. The other comment I'll make is with regard to the LPIs. Um, you have a friend, hopefully, uh, in your local ADA coordinator or uh, accessibility and disability person. Donna and I uh, work very closely with the uh, lady who has that position here in Pasadena. And um, we actually discovered that there was an LPI a couple of blocks from us adjacent to the Caltech campus. And when we found that out, we went back to her and we said, every intersection in Pasadena where an LPI is, is being uh, installed, you need to have, you need to have that uh, APS adjusted. And she has agreed to, to make sure that happens. Now, whether our Department of Transportation goes along, that's always questionable. 
but um, you you do have uh, hopefully someone uh, in your community, namely the person responsible for ADA compliance, uh, who uh, you should get to know, whom you should work with, uh, bring them to your chapter meetings, make sure that that they understand specifically what what our issues are. I'll just say, thank you, Mitch. I'll just say in terms of the tool, um, well, what we were able to do, we provided the tool to the city and we edited it with them. Basically. Oh, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andy is next. Hello, can everybody hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so talking about traffic control signals, I don't know if it's a newfangled thing or not, but uh, about a block down the road from us, uh, we're trying to figure out how to deal with this. So we live on, it's like a six lane expressway kind of thing that goes through the heart of town. About a block from us, there is a traffic light that only controls half of the street. So the other half is not controlled. They can just go straight east and west. Uh, the second half of the street that goes east and west is controlled by this traffic light. So what you got, when the light turns green free to cross, half the traffic has stopped, the other half can keep going, which is really awkward. Uh, the other one that we have is another, I'd never seen it before until we moved here. Uh, and it is one side of the intersection controls, say, one lighted intersection, and then the other half is two streets down the road. So, and it only covers half, so like, and it's the same type of thing, they cover half of the street. On one side, it's half the street on the north side. On the other side, it's half the street on the south side. And they're separated two blocks apart from each other. I don't know. To me, that sounds illegal. It does to me, too. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, I don't understand in what universe there's anything good about that, whether you're blind or sighted. I would, you've recently moved, is that right? Andy, you recently moved to this place? Well, yes or no. He's I, still I, here, yeah. Hello? Right, but he's not telling me. Yeah, right. I, the, my, my point, my only point is I would try to find out um, if you have allies in your community, other blind, low vision people, a chapter, um, or any others, like Mitch was saying, an ADA coordinator, but I would get try to very much get your um, forces together and be talking to the your Department of Transportation or whatever the equivalent is because that just sounds that just sounds fatal <laughs> well the other thing you might want to start using to deal with something like that is your local media and your social media contacts in yep. the area yep. This is Sheila, and I, I could be way off base with this, but I um, recently attended a 
presentation where they were talking about <clears throat> certain locations where studies have been done and where pedestrians absolutely choose their own path of travel and cross in the middle of a block or there's a business that um, seems you know to be well attended by people jaywalking they will put in crossings uh, in what appear to be inappropriate places because they decide that it's a safer thing to do because people aren't going to cross stop doing it anyway ron yep hello a uh, couple of things. First off, Sheila, what you are referring to is called a Hawk intersection, and Phoenix has a number of them. And they are basically designed for uh, mid-block crossings where there is otherwise not a signal. And they are, um, I mean, they work fine, but I will tell you um, there was one by where we live where um, I wouldn't recommend crossing it because it's only pedestrian activated. Um, and the, the motorists on this particular street aren't used to pedestrians there, so they're not used to this light. So um, they're not always paying much attention. Um, the, the thing I wanted to actually bring up a little from earlier um, in the conversation with Claire talking about the transportation bill. So I've just been kind of perusing the 872-page transportation <laughs> bill for work, and I have not seen, and, but I haven't been looking, um, were we able to get now this was the this is the house version the Senate version is still kind of a work in progress the house version has been passed um, is there um, is there language in the bill currently because if there is not language in the bill currently I think the chances of getting language in the bill at this stage are somewhere between impossible and really impossible I'm just wondering where that stands because that may you know may or may not be a strategy at this stage. So I don't know, I, I realized that you might also be muted like I was. So, oh. so that's one thing. Um, can we Claire? Do you want me to find Claire? Hold on, let me see if I, I can her. Tell her if she Hang wants on. to comment, yeah. Claire, raise your hand and I will see you here. Um, while you're doing that, I just wanted to kind of come back to the conversations around the prioritization tool. Um, I think this is something that would be really helpful as, a, um, as an organization for us to ponder how do we uh, maybe partner through, through, and I don't know the right organization, but maybe it's AER, maybe it's somebody else, to really talk about developing a, a prioritization tool within you know, the space of the accessibility community um, and you know, building some of these relationships with appropriate industry associations. And basically the, the play is it's better for everybody if it's standardized and, and, and agreed upon priorities are better than lawsuits. And to try to just start developing a national kind of prioritization tool that obviously it's going to be either used or not used by local organizations and municipalities, but at least a, a tool that we can point to as an industry standard uh, for this purpose. Claire, so great. anyway, Claire. Great. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Um, that's a really good point and a really good question. Um, I, too, myself have not looked through all 800 plus pages of it. Um, these were merely ideas that we had brainstormed and put into, you know, the um, 
as one of our imperatives to really talk about. And we have taken it up to the hill many, many a time. But as you know, that doesn't always yield immediate results. So you're probably correct. Um, but I was using that more as just an example of how we can try to find hooks within the legislature to try to move forward. Um, most people don't even know if the service transportation bill will successfully move forward in September like it's supposed to. Um, yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, it's slow moving. Um, so yeah, we'll see what what comes of that. And like you said, it's only been in one one side of Congress, so it could change on the other side. But yeah, I think I was I completely believe you're accurate that it didn't make it in. But I just wanted to use that in the as an example where we're trying to find different legislative hooks as well. Um, so like Karen said, we can use the judicial, we can use the executive and where possible if we can hook, um, find a hook to get that in there as a legislative well, a legislative approach as well. It'd be really interesting to see how people could do it on a state level. I'm just thinking out loud because obviously here in the national office, we look at how we could make federal law but in the meantime, it would be fascinating to see at the state level what might be able to be accomplished. Am I still muted? Am I unmuted or muted? Yeah, yeah you're, you're good. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Claire and Ron, I mean, do you think it's a totally, don't start laughing now, do you, do you think it's a totally lost cause to see whether we might be able to have um, any influence in the Senate? I mean, I think of Tammy Duckworth, you know, she's at least one ally. We might have a few more. Do you think it's worth pushing for any of this? Yeah, it, no, it absolutely is because the Senate bill isn't passed yet. Right. Um, and actually, I think right now, um, it's actually a really good time to try to get language if you can find a friendly senator because this is an election year and they're, they are, I mean, they are promising stuff left and right. So if you can put stuff, if you can get something in, I think that's great. Um, but it's going to have to get in through the Senate version and then go to conference, which is where the battle will get right. worked through. Right. And this is this is Claire, just to put our plug in again, it was one of our imperatives for the uh, the leadership conference. So we do have language on the ACB website that you can pull from. So we'd encourage you guys to to pull that from the website. And just like Ron said, yes, 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 please contact your senators and, and advocate for it. You can make a phone call, you can uh, email them, that kind of thing, because it, it it's really important. Oh, good idea. Maybe we could do it in a few states. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is Connie. Can I? Can you hear me? Sure. Yes. Um, so, as Ron said, I I have connections with one of the top senators, and Claire knows who I'm talking about. Um, and I've actually talked to him about the Fast Act just recently, and they're thinking it will pass the Senate, but they're concerned about the House side. But I can reach out to this senator, um, and he is part of that committee of the past act with so he has some inside information um That'd be great. So i will cool. see what i can do to help you guys so maybe we can talk after the convention one of the things that we were talking about doing um because of these community calls have been so successful after the convention is maybe arranging some specific calls like this take this particular session and have a a, a discussion every month or check in every month and see who's doing what and what's going on and, you know, new information and all of that kind of thing. So we'll stay tuned for that. All right. Uh, Rachel A. Oh, 
Deb, did I don't know if you meant to unmute me or not, oh, but no, I didn't. Can I go, since it, since but it since went, you are here, yes, ahead. you sure can. Okay, so uh, somebody had mentioned doing some advocate, some education for drivers and videos and stuff. I think that needs to happen just because there's an APS. If it go, I don't, I don't trust drivers. Not um, either because my, you know, I know somebody who works for the sheriff's office and. He got hit when he was crossing completely sighted. If he had not had a bullet, the bulletproof vest he was wearing saved his life and all he ended up with was a broken knee. But had that not, ha I mean, he, wow. you know, person, and then the person tried to get insurance after the fact and thought he'd be okay. So uh, I, I just, I don't trust sighted people, even if, even if the APS tells me to go, like I, there's a reason I don't, that's one of the reasons I personally don't cross streets anymore. So I think we absolutely should be doing things to educate sighted people that even though there's not normally pedestrians here and even if they're not visually impaired you still have to pay attention you can't be texting on your phone and doing all that stuff i think sighted people we we need to be educating them as much as possible that yes pedestrians still exist and you still need to be mindful of that regardless those, of the visual impairment or any of those things but i would be really worried about just going because a signal tells me to I've always yeah, been taught that you still, you don't just trust the auto pedestrian oh, absolutely. signal. And now what we're absolutely. asking people to do is to trust the pedestrian signal because that's when the LPI says to go. And that worries me. Yeah. Okay. You still have to use your brain. <clears throat> I'm leaving uh, Claire and Ron able to talk so that if they have more contributions to make, they can do that. And now Rachel, you, you still are good to go. Whoops. What up? Why did, why didn't you? Yeah, you still are, Rachel. You're finding the unmute button? Well, while we're looking for that, let's have the oh. phone. Uh, this, is, oh. this is Sheila, and I want to say that we're getting down to our five or six minute mark, and I'll tell you when we hit our time, but um, I, I want to throw one more thing out there while I'm doing that, too. Um, I love the PROAG, the Pedestrian Rights of Way Accessibility Guidelines, which have a lot of great ideas that have not been officially adopted. Is there any chance in, um, in Hades, the world, whatever, <laughs> that um, ACB can push this, have any influence? Because that would help establish a, a lot more uniformity and some oomph behind you know, a lot of what we all push for locally. You know, I, I'm keeping my mouth quiet about all the stuff we're doing locally, but it would so help if, if we had that weight behind us. All right. Now Rachel really is up here, and she's unmuted now. So, Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Rachel, and I... I have a question, and this may seem like a silly question, but I've, um, for, besides the LPIs and the and the bike lanes and everything. One of the problems that I have with the APSs is the volume issue. Um, some of the traffic around where I am, and I'm in the, the Washington DC area, uh, some of the traffic is really dense. And so um, I rely on like my own M skills, but sometimes the volume of the APSs are like super low. And I'm like, how could anybody like hear it? And so I was just wondering if you guys have any suggestions of uh, who I can contact or is this something that can be re regulated and be put into like a bill so that people can um, 
you know, it could be like standardized. Um, I can start uh, in, in New York City here. Uh, when we have something like that, we do contact the transportation people. Um, we're lucky that we have an in with the, the guy that's in charge of all the traffic engineers. So when something like that comes up, we're able to say we need this, you know, we need this ramped up a little bit. Um, these things are supposed to be um, built in such a way, I don't know how old the, the signal is that you're talking about, but they're supposed to be um, in such a way that uh, when there's changes, when the traffic becomes noisy, um, the signal ramps up a little bit. Um, but you, I certainly would, um, you know, contact your um, Department of Transportation and see if you see if you or somebody in, in your chapter, whatever, knows who the best people to uh, contact there would be because they should be able to work on that right away. And this is Ron, I just, it's not difficult to do either. Right. So this is Ron. I just wanted to jump in because this issue has come up in Phoenix and it, it may depend uh, to some extent on the technology that you have in place and also on politics. Um, an example, the, uh, there's an intersection by where I used to cross a very significant intersection by work where I, uh, where I used to have an office and there was a hotel on that corner. And every couple of weeks, the signal would be too quiet and you couldn't hear it. And I finally, after complaining repeatedly um, and then I'd go back and it would be loud. And then I'd, it, a week later, it'd be quiet. Turns out that I was in a silent war with hotel management who was basically pressing the city to turn it down because guests in the hotel were complaining about it. Um, so the city was literally ping-ponging between me as a complaining advocate and the hotel as a complaining business. Don't know the answer for that, um, but I think that ultimately – the solution is as technology evolves towards ambient noise control, um, that is the solution for that problem. Right. We have two right. minutes left. The only, I know in White Plains, the initial, um, the initial APSs were the cuckoo chirps. Y'all remember the cuckoo chirps? And they, they were mandated to turn it off at seven o'clock at night because the neighborhood complained. So if you wanted to cross the street after seven o'clock at night, you just had to use your traditional O&M. Which there, you should use anyway. There, there is definitely work being done around, you know, um, the APSs that are, that are being, um, put in place now do are supposed to have this um, ambient noise feature. Um, I know this is something that um, Lucas Frank has talked a lot about. Um, I'm sure he's not in our in our meeting right now, but but he has talked a lot about and worked with cities um, even even in the way of talking about how the um, the systems are like angled just physically so that the noise does not tend to rise but that it's more that it's more uh, uh, you know just more present on on the sidewalk level out in the street but I mean I think he would he would have a fair amount of knowledge about this I don't I don't think that would be a that's I don't think it's a sin for me to have mentioned his name <laughs> No, I need to give out the closing I, I code hate, for this session, guys. And I hate to do this, on, yeah, because we are definitely at time. And, right. And if you want to give the code, and then I'd like to thank our presenters. Sure. Uh, so our closing code is, wait, what, what did you leave me, code? You're right there. Come on, come 
come back. Well, I've got too, way too many windows here. There we go. It's 0886C. That's 0886Charlie. And that's the closing code for the first transportation session. And I just, on behalf of everybody here and our committees and ACB, want to thank Becky Davidson and Karen Gorgi and the audience participants who made this an extremely lively and informative and inspiring session. And I'm really excited about getting together in future to work on some of this stuff. So it's not over, guys. And we're going to take a 15-minute break and be back here on the half an hour for our second work session today. Thank you so much for coming. And come right back in 15 minutes. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, everyone.